0: This is Local Switchboard NYC, a women-led audio collective. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jordan Gaspore. We're here to bring you news on a human scale. News that reminds us that big stories often start small. News that keeps us connected. Local Switchboard's Betsy Lakin has your local headlines. Governor Cuomo has
1: just announced the closure of 169 public schools and now over 20 COVID hotspot zip codes across Brooklyn and Queens. This includes Far Rockaway, Barrow Park, Midwood, Kew Gardens, Gravesend, and Sheepshead Bay. Originally, businesses were to remain open, but now they will be shuttered, along with a ban on religious services and mass gatherings. This is under the newly unveiled Cluster Action Plan. Governor Cuomo has received strong opposition to this new shutdown, noticeably by Hasidic communities in Barrow Park, but also by working parents and business owners, as the shutdowns did happen suddenly and haphazardly. Fines of up to $15,000 a day for mass gatherings and $1,000 for social distancing are also going into effect. We mourn the loss of New York City nurse Clara Kang, 31, who had worked on the front lines during the coronavirus crisis and was cycling home from her shift at NYU Langone Hospital, when she was struck and killed on her bicycle by a motorcyclist in Sunset Park. A 92-year-old diner in Williamsburg, the Kellogg's Diner on Metropolitan Avenue, becomes the latest restaurant to be struggling to survive during this pandemic. The neighborhood is rallying behind the owner, Irene Sedericus, who is a single mother of four, and a GoFundMe campaign has started to support this landmark establishment. There is a mad dash to resend absentee ballots out to over 100,000 Brooklynites in time for the November 3rd election, after a computer glitch had led to the mislabeling of the ballot envelopes. Records show that the upstate firm Phoenix Graphics of Rochester, New York, was responsible for this debacle and had secured a 4600000 million no-bid contract.
0: In the rest of the show, the centennial of New York City's worst terror attack before 9-11.
2: This is a major incident, and it just so happened that a lot of the newspapers in New York City had offices very close to Wall Street.
0: And some of the ways COVID-19 has changed education.
2: The experience
3: is weird so far. You know, meeting all these classmates and professors with little, like, Brady Bunch heads is very strange.
0: We end the show with the latest news from the neighborhoods. That's all coming up on Local Switchboard NYC. September 16th marked the 100-year anniversary of the Wall Street bombing, when 38 people were killed in the heart of New York City's financial district. This was the largest terrorist attack in New York City prior to 9-11. Betsy Lakin was there to report on the commemoration of the victims.
1: On a brisk Wednesday afternoon, a small group gathered at the steps of the historic Federal Hall at 26 Wall Street. Unlike today's deserted streets, due to the pandemic... On this day in 1920, Manhattan's financial district was filled with commerce and bustling lunchtime crowds. Trinity's church bells began to ring, as they would have on September 16, 1920, at 12.01 p.m., the time of the bombing.
4: And a massive explosion took place 50 feet from here. A horse-drawn cart had pulled up, the man driving it had suddenly disappeared, and suddenly there was this large explosion. 38 people were killed that very day.
1: That's Brian Anderson, the organizer of the Wall Street bombing centennial. He's the former commissioner of the Department of Records for New York City, the city's archives.
4: Coming up on the 100th anniversary, it occurred to me that, well, I'm sure someone's going to do something, because that was a big deal. 38 people killed at lunchtime on Wall Street, in front of J.P. Morgan's headquarters. Hi, that's, that's, that's a big deal. And as we were getting closer to the date, and of course, with COVID and everything else, things were not happening. I decided to make a few calls to people that I thought, if there was going to be an event, that they would be involved with it. So the Centennial was a big deal. We read the names at 9-11, I've been part and parcel of that. So I thought it appropriate that, well, if we do that, we can certainly honor this group of people on the Centennial. And to my knowledge, it had never been done before, ever. So it was time.
1: Mark Herman, the historian archivist of the New York Press Photographers Association, was in attendance. And he shared insight into what occurred on that fateful afternoon.
2: This was a major incident, and it just so happened that a lot of the newspapers in New York City had offices very close to Wall Street. Uh, One photographer was having lunch a block away when the bomb went off unfortunately did not have his camera with him. So he ran to his office, grabbed his camera, came back, made pictures. Uh, A messenger in one of the offices called the Daily News, which had been open for only about a year at that point, and gave them the tip. They came down from Park Row, were able to cover it. And as a result, we have really good documentation of what, what it was like down here. And it's really important that we, as historians, remember our predecessors, the people who allowed us to research and you know, put together the past by their actions at, on the day as well.
1: Mr. Herman, along with several other participants, came dressed in full period attire. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're wearing?
2: Oh, well, the suit I'm wearing today is uh, just a very standard linen sack suit that would have been common in the 1920s. A uh, detachable shirt collar, which is actually an original from the period. Straw hat day, the unofficial date where you're supposed to stop wearing the straw hat is September 15th. But When you go through the photos of the day, there were a lot of straw hats still in the crowd. It's a very poignant uh, uh, newsreel clip of the hats of the victims all piled up in front of the building across from where we're standing. And more than a few straw boaters in, in the mix there, so that's why I chose to wear the straw hat today.
1: No one came forward or claimed responsibility for the Wall Street bombing, and authorities were never able to pinpoint a suspect. One theory circulating was that the instigators were followers of Italian anarchist Luigi Galliani. They were known as the Gallinists, an active radical group who had targeted other capitalist institutions during this period. Investigators tried and failed to interview Mario Buda, a Gallinist leader who fled the country soon after the attack. Another theory was that the bombing was in retaliation for the arrests of Sacco and Vincetti. Ultimately, the motivation for the Wall Street bombing remains a mystery.
4: In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Gracious, loving God, on this 100th anniversary of a terrible tragedy on September 16, 1920, which is then our nation's worst domestic terrorist attack on our sacred soil.
1: As part of the ceremony, a prayer was recited for the deceased by Father Brian Jordan, a Franciscan priest here in New York City.
4: We pray for understanding and courage. To stand against terrorism, bless our nation at this time, and bless our nation for all throughout the world. Amen.
1: I spoke to Mr. Anderson about his reflections on the commemoration.
4: We had a great flu epidemic, and now we have COVID. Uh, There was a lot of social unrest due to any number of factors back in 1920, labor unrest, and what we've got today. The Bolsheviks have just taken over, and they're preaching world socialism, world communism and the downfall of capitalism, sounds familiar. I mean, I looked over there, and there's a hammer and sickle in chalk on that black partition right there.
1: While an attack so close to the J.P. Morgan building can be seen as a symbolic resistance to capitalism, the majority of victims, with the exception of a few bankers, were working-class individuals, such as messengers and stenographers. 12 veterans were among those killed.
4: I was surveying the site last week just to see where I should stand, what I should point to. And a number of people went by and knew those marks were there and were looking for them.
1: The marks Mr. Anderson is referring to is the shrapnel damage still visible on the northeast wall of 23 Wall Street.
4: How do we feel that government should protect private citizens from political violence? Those discussions can all be had. Um, And maybe it's appropriate. Maybe it's appropriate, especially at this time, to realize, well, it's 100 years later, what came of that? Did those 38 people die in vain?
1: The service ended with the reciting of the victims' names.
4: There is, to my knowledge, been no commemoration or reading of their names in that hundred years. We're going to do it today to honor their memory. Joseph Barry, 29 years old, clerk, two-year-old son. Margaret Bishop, 21, bank clerk, meeting her sister for a customary lunch. Carolyn Dickinson, 43 years old, stenographer, John Dunahue, 38 years, an accountant. Margaret A. Drury, 29, stenographer. Worth Ellsworth, 20 years old.
1: Charles A. Hanrahan, a messenger killed on his 17th birthday. William F. Hutchinson, 43, an insurance broker, 7th Regiment, 9th Company, served both in the Spanish-American War and World War I.
4: William A. Joyce, twenty-eight head clerk of J.P. Morgan, killed at his desk. 14th service company, U.S. Signal Corps, engaged to be married in two weeks. Charles Axel Lindroth, 25, a bookkeeper, private machine gun company, 106th Infantry, was disabled in a gas attack in Europe. He was newly married, and his wife was two months pregnant with their first child. Thank you for your attention. May these people rest in peace. And God
2: bless America. From
1: Wall Street, this is Betsy Lakin with Local Switchboard NYC.
0: College students returned to classes this fall and the altered landscape of higher education in the time of COVID. Local Switchboard Sarah Montague looked at the stats and listen to some of those who've been affected.
5: For colleges and universities all over the country, spring break was a watershed. On one side of the normal world, classes, social life, and the tiny slice of R&R before the roll into graduations and in summer. On the other side, the stark nightmare of COVID-19, presenting not only a huge public health dilemma, but exposing the frail and unstable infrastructure of higher education. As a result, Colleges and universities spent the rest of the spring and summer in agonizing debate, trying to weigh the loss of enrollment and tuition costing millions against student safety and loss of mission. According to a New York Times article published in late August, the picture is very mixed, with schools opting both exclusively virtual and hybrid models. And the most incalculable factor is students themselves. How are they responding to this new world in which they must be brave? I interviewed three students from different segments of the New York City-based university population. Their reflections on isolation and the fragmented experience of online learning had a sense of weary fatalism. Weird was the word they used most often, which seems appropriate, as it's a term that originated with Macbeth in which the weird sisters were indeed fates. Catherine Smith is a full-time Master of Science student at Columbia, graduating in May 2021. Knock, wood, she says. She's already a professional journalist, but imagined an additional degree as a way of opening doors. Instead, she's faced with inadequate communication and an uncertain future. Ian Rydell is at the School of Public Engagement at the New School. He's in his third year of a Bachelor's of Science degree in Liberal Arts. He struggled with online learning in the spring and is already finding it challenging this fall term, cutting his classes from four to two so he can focus. He struggles with the absence of physical and temporal lines of demarcation and the sense of living in an indifferent world. Zoe Van Tegum is a senior theater major at Eugene Lang College in the New School. She describes her current life in terms reminiscent of Avatar with learning, social life, and most of the city existing as inadequate simulacrums. Each student reflected on the disjunctive nature of remote learning, and the compromised nature of the Zoom environment as a medium of communication and community. The other shared experience that surfaced was of living vastly altered lives in a vastly altered city. For Local Switchboard, I'm Sarah Montague. My name
3: is Catherine Smith. The experience is weird so far. You know, meeting all these classmates and professors with little, like, Brady Bunch heads is very strange.
6: My name is Ian Rydell. I really like interacting with people face-to-face, so, like, learning online, even if it's, like, you can have a Zoom seminar, I don't know, it doesn't feel the same to me.
3: I'm Zoe Van Tegum. What I've noticed the most is that it's really hard to be taught something... When the person who is teaching, when you don't have their, like, energy, when you're sort of watching what feels like a video instead of the actual thing. Part of the reason why I wanted to go to graduate school is for the networking, to make new friends and make new professional connections, and this is a very weird way to do that.
6: When I had to go to school for class, I had to go to school for class, and I had to, like, at least put something decent on, you know, and walk through some doors, but now I can, like, literally just... Like turn off the TV and stop watching The Sopranos and like jump right into class.
3: Can't tell if someone's looking at me and I can't really look directly at someone else. I had a teacher saying, I can usually tell when a student is having a thought and sort of wants to say something and I can call on them and I can sort of like orchestrate it. But over Zoom, it's really hard to do that. Just sort of the human behaviors that you have while you're learning something, it's hard to catch those. Everything is fractured and outside and, you know, you take it where you can find it.
6: It's easier to save money because I just don't go to bars, you know? Uh, I'm just, it's harder to go out and do anything now, you know, so I'm spending a lot of time in parks.
3: I think it's reshaped a lot of things for us already, like the concept of time and the concept of productivity and the concept of what matters, because being in a life and death situation inherently makes you value different things. I miss everything about my old life. So many of my friends have left. I know people who have died. I'm broke. My husband is broke. (laughs) It's a weird time to go to college.
6: No one cares about what you're doing. And you could be the most talented person in the world. No one's going to care unless you make sure that they care.
3: It definitely is weird to have people spread out all over the country and the world. Because such a big part of New York is how community oriented it is i think there's a bit of the city missing from the city as a whole
6: awful things happen but like it feels like this year awful things happen and you're just are reminded of that every morning
3: but i found people my age to be more um easily changed and more malleable and more sort of ready to figure out how we're going to live the rest of our lives because we want to live the rest of a life yeah
0: Each week, we bring you news from our neighbourhoods.
5: Politics is local. You couldn't have a clearer demonstration of this than the wave of protests all across the country in response to President Trump's attempt to defund the post office. There is an outraged crowd in front of the post office on Hudson Street between 10th and Charles. <laughs> All summer long the village has been a saturnalia. Restaurants have spilled out onto the street creating an instant cafe culture. Music washes down the blocks and avenues and here and there a lone balladeer can be heard. No one wants to let go of summer. Even the masks seem like party attire.
0: I'm Jordan Gosporé, and you've been listening to Local Switchboard NYC. Our team is, host, me, Jordan Gosporé, and reporters Sarah Montague, Betsy Lakin, and Heather Chin. You're part of our neighborhood now, so if there's a local story you think is important, let us know at localswitchboard at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.